0: Good morning, church. Man, wake up. It's Sunday morning. I am ready for summer to be over. I'm tired of everybody texting me saying, hey, we're gone. (laughs) We're going places. And I'm like, good for you. I'm not. (laughs) I'm here. And I'm happy to be here. And I'm always happy to be here. And I think I'll forever be happy to be here because Jesus changed my life. And I love worshiping the living God uh there's so much but i have to tell you today as we continue in our series new life in christ means we're being born to a living hope we are being born again to a living hope and so hopelessness is a huge issue in the world today and we're going to cover that uh, pretty well in detail as we go through first peter because first peter definitely gives us cause for joy and rejoicing and hope as he starts off with doxology and words of praise and in essence it's just one single sentence but at the same time let us pray and let's get into his word so dear heavenly father thank you for this morning thank you for allowing us to be your church and for coming together to worship you to love you and to sing your praises lord Um, Just be with us this morning, tune our hearts and our minds to your will, and let it all be for your glory. All this I pray in my Lord and Savior Jesus' name, amen. All right, I don't have the page number in front of me for the Blue Bibles. I forgot that this week. Life goes on. But we are in 1 Peter chapter 1. Oh, it's also on the back of the bulletin. I should remember that, hey, we're, we're on top of things. It's on the back of the bulletin. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read it together, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded Through Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Was someone reading or am I getting mad feedback of my own voice? Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. I was like, oh man. What's, what's going on? Uh, it was getting to me, but praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you're moved in the spirit as well. So thank you. Uh, just to give you some background, a little bit of background on 1 Peter here. Um, we know the Apostle Peter. You know that, that he was the fisherman, as originally called in the boat. And um, Jesus named him later on the rock. And you see that he became a prominent leader within the church. And if you were to look at the, the first part, the first two verses of this chapter, you would see that the exiles of the dispersion in a bunch of different areas. Now, this is modern-day Turkey, but what was going on is that these, they were exiled from their home in Jerusalem. Like, you see this a lot where, you know, there's sojourners and there's travelers and there's persecution and there's all kinds of different things that unfortunately happened to God's people because, well... The world loves itself, and it does not love God. And that's clearly apparent in the world that surrounds us today, that uh, anyone who is a Christian can be under oppression because they are like little lemmings. They don't know how to think for themselves. They just kind of follow a mindless thing, which isn't the case, of course. Don't get me wrong. But there's mad misconceptions because there's a lot of people out there that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then they go and do terrible, uh, tragic atrocious things in this world like I think about like Westboro Baptist Church that's you know picketing and, and rioting and spreading hate and things like that and yet they're under the label of quote-unquote Christian and so there's a there's a change though there's there's most definitely God's people and then there's the rest of the world and even though someone may be professing to be a Christian that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a Christian uh, because God and his, his, his kingdom like the demons are working against us and everything like that so it's very easy to say but how can you tell one from not and that's when you look at the fruit of their lives and, and what they're growing in whether it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and then self-control like those are the fruits of the spirit but if there's still a mad amount of debauchery and all kinds of things and hate being spread and like not unity and racism and your political beliefs take precedence over Christ, then that's really hard because there's, a, you know, you're not looking towards Christ. He's not your, your center, your, your everything. And so these pilgrims that, that are here, even though I went off on a little tangent there, these pilgrims were dispersed because of being Christians. Uh, They were kicked out of Jerusalem by Emperor Claudius back in the day, Uh, and it's much safer to go live in kind of a, I don't want to say a commune, but kind of like a commune, a different city, different area, different region, uh, things like that, together um, to build one another up in the unity of the truth and the love that is in Christ Jesus, as that is all of our calling as the church, to build one another up in the unity of the faith that's Christ. There's many more other things that we do as the church, too, but that. From Ephesians chapter 4, that's kind of our, our motto, where we're going and what we're doing. It's all about Christ and in this community and reaching and loving and, you know, changing, like watching God work <laughs> and just simply being a part of it, you know, through us. And so they're pilgrims, if you will. And so in this section, we're going to see there's us and then there's you, um, going on in this as well so us being christians those who are disciples and followers of jesus christ it has nothing to do with the denomination or anything like that but being a christian is a disciple and a follower of our lord and savior jesus christ through his word and then there's the the rest there's there's everyone else that goes upon uh the world that we're in And so it's always been that way throughout all of the Old Testament and all of history. You'll see Jews and Gentiles, Jews being God's people, Gentiles being everyone else. And so while Peter is writing to the Jewish community that that quote-unquote knew of God, but they've been born again to the new covenant that was in Jesus Christ because they've changed the covenants over the years. He's ratified them, if you will, starting from the Abrahamic to the Mosaic to the Davidic. And then now we're in Christ. And so, um, if we look at these first three verses that we talked about, verse 3, verse 4, and 5, uh, this, is, this is what I was talking about with the doxology. It's a big praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so this whole section, there's, there's a lot that goes on in here. And this is, this is the gospel, and this is what God does. And so a lot of times we get easily led astray by what the gospel is because other people say it. But, but this is it's, it's God's work in life of his child and his believer. And so um, one of the key words there, as, as we saw in our Scripture reading from John chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, is, is being born again. Now we've talked about this pretty consecutively for every uh, two weeks, like if you go back and listen to the second sermon on Ephesians chapter 2, we're dead in our trespasses, and God raised us up, born again. We saw in Ezekiel chapter 36, put a new heart, uh, take a heart of stone out, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you, uh, cause you to walk in my statutes and my ways. And so... Born again is under the, the, the doctrine of regeneration. And it's not being born again to just, oh, your morals are going to change. Or, oh, you know, there might be some physical things that change. Being born again, as we discussed, and I don't want to harp too much on it, it's, it's your entire being. When we looked back and we saw what uh, the heart being the epicenter of everything for the Hebrew and the Jews at the time. Um, It's where, like, your feelings come from. It's where your knowledge comes from. It's where your wisdom comes from. It was the centrality of everything that you are. Everything. Head to toe. Your your thoughts, your emotions, um, everything. You name it. Your mind, your heart. It also ties in a lot to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul uh, and all your strength, and then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, like the two great commandments that are in there. So regenerate the entire being, the new heart that God putting His Spirit within you. Um, and so, just to touch base on this, when we think about this, like because this is a, a huge part of quote unquote Reformed theology that that regeneration comes before the belief, whereas in uh, a lot of what we see today, it's like, well, no, I, I believed in Jesus. and then, But we see a lot, and especially in these passages, that you are dead spiritually. You're, you're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So you must be regenerate. You must be born again before we're ever able to repent, which of course is confession, contrition, and then conversion, and then belief that jesus is who he says he is that god has done what he says he's done and that the promises that god has given us are complete in christ and so let's reason for a minute also just the same when you were physically born as a little baby in your mother's womb what did you do to be born right shaking heads like I have no idea I didn't I didn't really do anything I I might have kicked her Uh, (laughs) that might have made her move out of me Um, yeah I I I didn't have anything to do with my physical birth there was a mother and and a father father remember that of course and then Yeah, they got together, and these, you know, the the sperm and the egg got together, and then I was born. (laughs) And I don't know really what happened in there. Now, thankfully, due to science, we're able to see this miracle of life, which we don't acknowledge as a miracle of life anymore, because we've become so desensitized to all the things around us. Like, we see, again, these atrocities. Like, you see all the murder and all the, the violence, and it's like, ah, You know, another day, another dollar kind of thing. Like, wait, this is wrong. Like, this was never supposed to be this way. And so, born again. Getting back to the main point. Born again. What did we have to do with our physical birth? And then I beg you to question, what did we have to do with our spiritual birth? If you were dead in your trespasses and sins as you know, God explains in His Word you know, through the prophet Ezekiel, uh, through Isaiah, you know, through the entire New Testament and, and Romans and, and Paul's theology and all those things. It seems abundantly clear that this is an entirely a work of God to be born again spiritually. To know that God is who He says He is. That Jesus is indeed the Son of and that there indeed is a better way and a desire and things of that nature that uh, cause us to rejoice. Because we didn't know. It's not off something that you've done or something that you have did. It's on what God has done and what God did in your life. And we see that again in this text. His great mercy. You know, mercy being not receiving the punishment that we deserve, right? His great mercy He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which is what God did too in order to be that final atonement, that perfect sacrifice uh, for sin that we need, that we absolutely need. Because us being sinful and God being holy, 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 We can't be anywhere near him in our current broken state of affairs. So we needed redemption and we needed a redeemer. And that's why we must be born again. But I do not want to leave those that are not uh, believers without hope at the same time. Because God is a God of grace. He shows unmerited favor to people. He is the God of mercy and he is the God that brings new life to people. Now, if, I say that very vaguely, if you are able to humble yourself as a prideful human being and actually have contrition and sorrow in your heart without God regenerating and showing you what to do, then by all means, like that's what God requires. God requires belief, faith in Him, but first and foremost, He requires repentance, which is a confession of our sins, The contrition, the sorrowful nature of our hearts, and then a conversion of going from our way to God's way, which is His design, which obviously was the best way because He is a loving Heavenly Father that does care for us and that He wants us to cast all our anxieties on Him and to walk with Him and to have a relationship with Him in this life. And the life to come, which we're going to get to here in a minute. But um, I really, really, really want to talk about hope here, too, because, again, the hopelessness that I see in everyone that does not have God in their lives is staggering. Uh, there's a mad problem in this world, and, and it's hopelessness, and, and you see it everywhere. And God actually led me this week to do a, a different little study, and, and this is kind of long, but but hopefully kind of quick too. And again, always hopefully edifying as you see the contrast in what God has done in the gospel to you see what hopelessness that there is without God and without the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, so with this living hope, there's I, I did a bunch of research on, on hope and hopelessness, and I think this could be like a good maybe Bible study or you know some kind of study or things like that but um, let's talk about hope first hope in our culture and our society is nothing more than a wish i wish rather than i hope like i hope my business takes off i wish my business takes off i hope that somebody gets healed i really wish that this person would get healed and out of the hospital um, but I really need you to know that biblical hope is completely different than secular hope and the hope that's in this world. But first, hope is commonly used to mean a wish. Its strength is the strength of that person's desire. Okay? I needed to end there. That, the strength that we have in our hope secularly is just based on that individual person's desire. Now, biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And biblical hope's strength is based in God's faithfulness to His people. Very different hope. Very, very, very different hope. Being a wish versus being a confident expectation in Christ. Astronomically different astronomically different and if you've never read hebrews chapter 11 i would encourage you to do that it kind of gives you a brief synopsis of the old testament and how all of them had put their hope not in things but in god who can do anything right okay so i want to preface this little section here um it's from a book called hope in the age of anxiety um It's just nine points that they have there and that's the secular part. And then we're going to slather it with the Gospel and show you how to combat this hopelessness. Christ is all-sufficient in everything that He does. And so, it's not surprising, and I want to preface it also by saying this, it's not surprising that we feel these things because of the brokenness of sin that separates us from a holy God in the first place. And without God... It's no wonder that people feel so hopeless. And just like last week, I beg you to think about this question. What is your life? If it's not in Christ, as Paul exclaims more than 160 times in the New Testament, if it is not in Christ, what is it? And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And every person in this room would answer have a different answer, I can guarantee it. Some might be similar, similar wants and desires, or secular hope, if you will, a wish. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, absolutely. And so, what is your life? So, first one, alienation. Alienated individuals believe that they are somehow different. Moreover, they feel as if they have been cut loose, no longer deemed worthy of love, care, or support. In turn, the alienated tend to close themselves off, fearing further pain and rejection. Alienation. You're different. Hopelessness. This comes from one of the three big overarching things. Uh, Attachment issues. Uh, feeling of wanting to be included. A feeling of being part of something. Um, And with that, like... Here's the gospel and, and the remedy. Like I, I, it bothers me to talk about all this secularism at, at the pulpit because I want to talk about Jesus first and foremost above anything, but you need to know how the gospel remedies all of this at the same time. Alienation. You're not alienated when, when like God has chosen you as, as part of his kingdom. You are indeed of intrinsic beauty and worth and you will be used to glorify Him. And I also want to remind you of the church, the body of believers. It's not a building. Uh, God's people, you will not be alienated. I hear many stories. Uh, I even heard a story this week about a tragedy where uh, someone was asked to not play music anymore within the church uh, simply because they um, didn't feel it. They they didn't look passionate or motivated up on stage. And I'm like, that's so ridiculous. That makes no sense. Why are you alienating this person who wants to glorify God with their music because it doesn't meet your club criteria? Like, I'm like, you're not the church. There's, there's, there's no alienation in Christ other than those who are not in Christ. Like, but within the church, the gospel remedies that you are adopted as sons and daughters into His kingdom, you are worthy of glory, or or not of glory. Jesus is worthy of glory. But you are worthy of uh, dignity and respect. Absolutely. As a human being created in the image of God, all of you are worthy of dignity and respect to some degree. Some of you may not want respect and act certain ways that say, hey, I'm I'm struggling to respect you. But in, in the beginning part of everything, understand that every human being is absolutely worthy of dignity and respect because they are created in the image of God, something we've talked about before. So, alienation, that doesn't happen for God's church and God's people. There's no such thing. Uh, it, it, it need not exist. And if you've ever looked at Revelation, you see that there are every nation and every tribe uh, that come to worship God. So, if there's racism, prejudice that way, like that doesn't exist in God's kingdom either. Um, two, forsakenness. Uh, The word forsaken refers to an experience of total abandonment that leaves individuals feeling alone in their time of greatest need. Um, This author uses uses Job as an example, uh, crumpled over and covered with sores, pleading with a seemingly indifferent God, which isn't the case. But rather than talk about Job, I want to talk about Jesus again and let you know that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on, on the cross? Like, Jesus took the forsakenness that we rightly deserve from God because we cannot have that right and real relationship with Him. But again, the Gospel remedies this because the forsakenness, that feeling of abandonment, uh, should not exist in the church as well as Jesus reconciled us to a right and real relationship with our Lord and Savior in this by taking that forsakenness so that we are not cut off from him for eternity. Okay? Uninspired um, attachment and and mastery. Feeling uninspired can be especially difficult for members of underprivileged minorities for whom opportunities for growth and positive role models within the group may be either lacking or undervalued. Um, Uninspired. I call this nihilism. (laughs) Nihilism. It's another word for it. It's the meaninglessness, and I, I understand this meaninglessness, uh, you know, in my own life, and I see it also in my in my son's life, and I see it in a lot of other people that uh, see that there's no point to the world or anything like that. And this is where I challenge you again, because if there is not a God, as some people exclaim, then you're born from meaninglessness, and when you die, there's meaninglessness, and then everything in between is whatever you want to do, and it's ultimately meaninglessness. It's meaningless. But God has given you a purpose and a reason to live and to be and to do. And so feeling uninspired, if you are in Christ, is not an option because the Gospel remedies that because God does have a purpose for your life. So watch out for this attack of feeling uninspired and useless and not worthy. Number four, powerlessness. Individuals of every age need to believe that they can author the story of their life. When that need is thwarted, when one feels incapable of navigating one's ways towards a desire's goal, a feeling of powerlessness can step in. Now, I would agree with this and I understand why people feel powerless because at the end of the day, there, there, there is a sense of powerlessness. We have absolutely no control over the human evil that's in this world. We have absolutely no control over the human suffering that's in this world. And we have absolutely no control over death. None. Nada. Zip. Zero. Zilch. In any of these capacities, and so this powerlessness, like if you're not in Christ, yes, that absolutely exists. But in Christ, who is the all-powerful, when you're blessed with that Holy Spirit that comes upon you, that gives you new life, uh, new, you know, new purpose, makes you, causes you to be born again, causes you to walk in His statutes, causes you, you know, all these different things, it's very much a, a feeling of power. And uh, I remember when I was, was early on, like, uh, in my walk, and, and Christ, had, like, just regenerated me within the first six months. Like, it was just exuberant and, and overgoing and, and kind of rude maybe a little bit and, and kind of being uh, overzealous for the Lord. But within six months after that, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, an illness that I had to deal with the rest of my life. And at that same time, I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes, and it was, um, we are but beasts of the field, is what I, what I thought. Because I was all-powerful, but I know a God who is all-powerful. And, and the fact of the matter is, if you can grip it, is that when it comes to matters of life and death, there are a lot of things that we are indeed powerless to, but we have a creator who is all-powerful, who has created the heavens, and the earth, and everything that's in it. And so, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for His power and His glory. Number five, oppression, mastery, and attachment. Oppression involves the subjugation of a person or group. The word oppressed comes from Latin. To press down, and its synonym, downtrodden, suggests a sense of being crushed under or flattened. So, oppression. Uh, Very quickly, this, this is another thing... In Christ, out of Christ. Um, There are two halves. uh, Being a slave to sin or being a slave to righteousness, if you will. Uh, Serving yourself and, and, in essence, the devil's ways and your own corruptions. Or serving God. None of us have this option to serve God, lest God has regenerated this. So, in a sense, we are all oppressed, those who are not in Christ to begin with. It strikes me as very normal that that there are people that can very well be oppressed. Not just uh, the physically uh, oppressed and and the things of that nature, but but spiritually oppressed and mind control and emotionally oppressed and things of that nature. And so Christ sets us free in the oppression because there's an option (laughs) all of a sudden. And odds are we'll follow the option of God, but we will still, because we are by nature you know, children of wrath and and born under sin, that we will naturally follow those tendencies. But God and Jesus being, you know, God's only son and his nature being holy and righteous and good, there's that option. So so you're not oppressed, you're not downtrodden, you're not things like that. Um, Six, limitedness. When the struggle for survival is combined with a sense of failed mastery, individuals feel limited. They experience themselves as deficient, lacking in the right stuff to make it in the world. This form of hopelessness is all too common among the poor as well as those struggling with severe physical handicaps or crippling learning disabilities. Um, I want to talk about the, the two, there's, there's three categories altogether. Uh, the first one was attachment issues. The next one is mastery issues, which involves performance-based uh, you know, anxiety and the issues that go with that. And then there's survival, which of course is life and, and death type of issues. And so those three categories are feeling the need to belong, uh, feeling useful uh, in, in what you can do, and then surviving. Um, those make up the entirety of, of the hopelessness. And so this limitedness and the mastery and survival um, I, I have seen God change so many people's lives uh, for the better that give them new hope and new glory, uh, new work, uh, new life, new love, uh, you know, children, and, you know, things like that. Now, granted, God is our ultimate purpose. And, and you know, our, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. But we are not limited in, in the sense because we have a creator who's, Most certainly not limited in any capacity. Uh, Holy, holy, holy. Like, again, I say that a lot because we can't fathom this holiness and this righteousness here on earth. We are so far away from it that, that it's hard, and we are limited in our knowledge of God, right? And things of that nature. But in the Gospel, we have a Creator and a Savior who is not limited to anything. And so even though we may feel you know, downtrodden, this, that, or the other, I, I know God can do a lot of things. And when I was at Moody, there was a brother in a wheelchair who has done more amazing things than so many more people that I've ever met in my life. And he would not tell you that he feels limited. You know, He is unlimited because of the Savior that he serves being unlimited not based on his own work and his own merit in all of this. Uh, Number seven, doom, survival. Individuals weighed down by this form of despair presume that their life is over, that their death is imminent. The ones most vulnerable to sinking into this particular circle are those diagnosed with a serious life-threatening illness as well as those who see themselves worn out by age or infirmity. Such individuals feel doomed, trapped in a fog of irreversible decline. It's not surprising without Christ to feel that there's not much to live for when, when you're older. That the doom is coming, that you will someday eventually die. This is natural. And in fact, we fear death because it's not natural to us. We were never born to die <laughs> as it was. Uh, but until sin entered the Garden of Eden Eden, and the fall happened, that we find ourselves dying. Uh, Dying, and that death exists in the world, and that the wages of sin is death, and that uh, we as individuals, like, we, we can easily feel doomed and we can feel trapped, and, and there's, there's, there's hopelessness. Like, again, I refer back to if there's no God, then the, your beginning of life was meaninglessness, the end of your life is meaninglessness, and everything in between um, is striving after wind and vanity of vanities, as King Solomon says. So, doom there's no doom for those who are in Christ none whatsoever not an iota because not only like will we eventually physically die but we will be with God eternally like like there's no eternal separation or cut off or things of that nature so there there is no feeling doomed like worst case scenario i told you i have a disease the the diabetes and the monitor and things like that like Yes, I'm going to die. And yes, it is a life-threatening illness. But worst case scenario is I do die and go be with Jesus. That's not doom. That doesn't sound doomful to me at all. In fact, I envy it. I kind of look forward to it. It could almost be a sin that I want to be with Jesus so bad. But it's better off that I'm here with you. Uh, and this, as as Paul exclaims in the Gospels. So, you know, to raise the, the family and to be a part of this that we may share in the blessings of the Gospel and how God works in each and all of our lives. So, no doom. Okay, captivity. Two forms of hopelessness can result from captivity. The first consists of physical or emotional captivity enforced by an individual or group. Prisoners fall into this category as well as those held captive in a controlling abusive relationship. We refer to this as other imprisonment. An equally insidious form of entrapment is self-imprisonment. This occurs when individuals cannot leave a bad relationship because of their sense of self-worth not allowing it to leave a bad relationship. So, captivity. Again, the hopelessness. Like, if you see your identity as your identity in Christ and as a son and daughter of the Lord Most High, then there is indeed self-worth that will grow. And your hope will grow. And your purpose for life will grow. And all these things will grow, as opposed to the secular part of, well, at least somebody likes me. (laughs) At at least, you know, so-and-so asked me out. I'll just settle with them. Sure, they're abusive and physically abusive, but I got somebody. At, At least I got somebody. Like that's that's the kind of self-worth that the world has these days and and you see that in a lot of uh, young people's relationships too and so again this survival and this attachment and seeing your self-worth in, in in Christ and 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 finding a purpose and of course knowing that that you're saved ultimately and that I mean, look at, look at the example of Paul and, and all the things, all the beatings, all the imprisonments, all the stonings, all the abuse that this man took, you know, for the sake of Christ and being captive all that time. And you think about, you know, probably the most prominent example that, that maybe exists in our world is, is during, you know, slave times. Uh, they, they were separated, families were separated, they were beaten, they lived in subhuman conditions. And yet, you know, we, we hear songs like, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Like, this was their call, this was their song, this was their hope. This was their peace and their joy as Christians in Christ. Because if you are not a Christian and you are a slave like that, which you are to your own sins, don't get me wrong. um, Yeah, like there's this mad feeling of hopelessness in captivity because you 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 just can't you can't you can't please yourself. You can't get out of that thing. And so, lastly, uh, helplessness. Um, Helpless individuals no longer believe that they can live safely in the world. They feel exposed and vulnerable like a cat after being declawed or a bird grounded by a broken wing. Trauma or repeated exposure to uncontrolled stressors can produce an ingrained sense of helplessness. In the words of one trauma survivor, I was terrified to go anywhere on my own. I felt so defenseless and afraid that I just stopped doing anything. That's a much tougher one, obviously, being and feeling helpless, and I feel like it it ties back in very much to what we talked about uh, before with powerlessness. Um, That we don't have power, and, and we are hopeless to some degree in the matters of life and death, in the matters of suffering, in the matters of unjustness, if you will, that I am going to suffer because of what this person in this position of authority has laid upon us, and things of that nature. So... Christ has fixed this again, of course. The Gospel is is, is everywhere and the supremacy of Christ and, and His good news is absolutely needed. And again, we feel these things because of the brokenness of sin that separates us from God. Without God, the real reason we were created, the real reason that we have purpose, it is no surprise or wonder that so many people feel hopeless. So again, you know, in this, what is your life? And I, and I hope this you know, wasn't too long of endeavor, boring for you. But at the same time, it's important to see the contrast between the hopelessness of the world and then the mad hope that we have in Christ and, and the amazing glory that's going to be revealed to us someday. And so, that's just verse 3 now. <laughs> Got seven more verses to go, but they're much faster, so... Uh, Just to talk to you also about inheritance in this first. uh, Again, our first point is verses 3 to 5. Just kind of bring you all back on track. Uh, We just kind of talked about verse 3 in the doxology. We talked about being born again, living hope. But now verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable. Okay? Undestroyable. And it cannot be destroyed because it is indestructible. Now, first off, we think about inheritance and maybe we'll think about the prodigal son story that we find in Luke chapter 15 where he goes away. He's like, Dad, give me my money. Give me my money, Dad. I want to go spend it out on, you know, alcohol and women and, you know, whatever else I want to spend it on. Give me the money. I'm going to go spend it. And then you know, the son spends it all and he learns his lesson because he's eating with pigs and this, that, and the other, and yet his father welcomes him home. This isn't the type of monetary inheritance that you're thinking of. This is the inheritance that God the Father is giving Jesus, the Son, at this time. And as Christians, we share in that blessing because we are fellow heirs with Christ because as we believe in him, Jesus gave us the right to become children of God through faith. Because of his accomplished works and his atonement and all the different things that he's done in this life, not what we've done. You know, going back to that hopelessness, it's all about performance or mastery issues. And for a lot of people, and even different denominations, uh, you see that in that it's a works based organization. I do these things so that God might love me. But that is not how this works in the slightest. I, I don't see that biblically now. Faith without works is dead, and you will do things, but it's not out of law, it's out of love for what God has done for you. It's not out of law that you have to do these things, it's out of love that you want to do these things for the Creator who's given you new life and a new purpose and a new meaning and joy, inexpressible joy. And so this inheritance, again, not not the type that we're looking for, and we're not going to get it in this life either. Now, I feel like we already have gotten some inheritance in the fact that the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives within us, and that helps guide us, and that convicts us of our sin, and that points us to the will of God more and more and more and more in our lives as we're being sanctified, and being made holy by the Holy Spirit, like that's an amazing inheritance that that each of us in Christ have. But it, without Christ, we don't have these things. And what is imperishable here on earth is quite imp, is quite perishable. And what is undefiled in heaven can easily be defiled here on earth. And just like what is, you know. Fading here on earth is unfading in heaven. It's eternal and it lasts forever. And so imperishable means it cannot be destroyed. Undefiled means that nothing will spoil or it cannot be ruined by the sin and the corruption of man. And then unfading, like if you think back to this, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Like, if any of you guys ever made your wives mad (laughs) and you're like... And you're like, oh, man, I need to buy her flowers. <laughs> oh, man, I need to buy her candy. Oh, man, I need to do something for her. And so a lot of us will go to the store, we'll buy flowers, you know, they're very pretty, they're very this, that, and the other. But after a week, maybe less, maybe more, they start to fade. They start to, to drift off. They start to wither and they start to wilt. And that's the brokenness in this world that we see is the, un, is the fading but the unfading glory of what God keeps for us in heaven, like, who knows? But I can resonate with Paul that, that the present sufferings will pale in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in heaven. And this is definitely not a you know, get-out-of-jail-free card or anything like that, or hey, let's look towards heaven. Like We don't know what that's like. But the most important thing that we know that's going to be in heaven is that God is going to be there in our midst. Anything else doesn't matter because we as human beings without being in Christ are never complete. Never, 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 ever complete. And you see that in the hopelessness. And you see that that as the completion of being in Christ fulfills the hopelessness and turns it into hope at the same time. And so, this inheritance is being with Christ in all of these situations and these circumstances. And so, and then verse five, like we're talking about an inheritance. Verse five, you are being guarded and kept in heaven to be with God. You cannot lose your salvation once God has regenerated you. You've dropped down. You've. Like, all these amazing things that, that God has done. Your faith and being guarded by God right this minute. And so, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then, of course, salvation being being with God as opposed to being cut off and separate from God for the rest of your life because you just don't want anything to do with God. So, uh, there you go. Verse 3-5. through five. God is worthy of our praise because of what He has done for His people. And that new life in Christ means being born again to a living hope. So let's move on to the second point, verses 6 and 7. And I'm just going to put it this way. God is going to help you kill your sin. Okay? Your faith will be tested to increase your growth in Christ and that trials are temporary. But let's read the text again. In this you rejoice. Everything we just talked about, in this. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, let me repeat again. Your faith will be tested to increase your growth in Christ. And that trials are temporary. Peter uses this example quite a bit because we think about things that are of value uh, here on earth. So he talks about gold in this. And gold, you know, for a long time was an excellent use to barter, was worth a lot. But God values faith more than he values gold. And you need to know that. God values faith more than he values gold or any type of material possession. Why? Because God created you know, gold and things like that. But it's the faith to know that God is who He says He is and that what He's done and that these things are going to happen. So um, when we think of gold, we think of metallurgy. And we may think of a smith trying to test an unknown metal. right? Um, so think about these trials in, in, in that regard to a sense. A smith testing an unknown metal. But on the same token... God is the one who created you. God knows who you are. God is not quote-unquote testing you. He's shaping you into Christ's likeness, in His Son's likeness. Because remember, by nature, we are children of wrath. But by nature, Jesus is the Son of God and who is holy and righteous and good. And so we need to be in that nature if we're ever going to be uh, reconciled to a holy and righteous God and Creator. And so um, He doesn't just willy nilly shape you, okay? And are there any gardeners in the room? Maybe? Right? Okay, excellent. Um, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, Jesus talks about being the vine and the Father being the vine dresser and that uh, apart from him you can do nothing but the heavenly father prunes you like as a gardener you know that if you want the plant to grow up strong and healthy you're going to have to cut some hard things off of it so that it will continue to grow straight there's going to be leaves that need to be cut off you know maybe another branch is shooting out, and this branch is you know, sucking up a lot of the life energy you know, from the ground and the dirt, and it's better off to cut off that branch in the first place. And that, in essence, also is what Peter's talking about here by being grieved by various trials. And maybe we hear in James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials because they produce steadfastness they all produce steadfastness, faith in God being able to take care of you and you know, to, to love you and to show you that there's a, a better way. Um, consider also the story of Joseph uh, early on in Genesis and the New Testament. Um, Joseph's brothers were tired of Joseph being the, the favorite one, if you will, and so um, all that bad stuff happened to Joseph which at the time was, was, was a tragedy for Joseph, make no mistake. Um, his, his brothers sold him into slavery. He got sent out to Egypt. And, and then, you know, if you know that story, miraculous things happen. And eventually he wears a really fancy coat, <laughs> a technicolor dream coat. And that... Uh, okay <laughs> my wife's telling me I'm, I'm running really long so i'm like okay all right i'm sorry there's a lot here though there's a really lot here i gotta stop picking awesome texts i gotta stop you know <laughs> but at the same time the story of joseph sold into slavery. joseph says at the end of all this and we'll bring this up and we'll, we'll wrap this up genesis 50:20. uh he says as for you talking to his brothers you meant evil against me But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Like Joseph became second in power in Egypt. He was able to feed Israel with uh, Egypt's stores and the warehouses and all the other things. I would encourage you to read that story as, as time is going on. But consider this too, what Paul says. Romans 8.28 For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. I know in my life, I've seen constant times again, even the way that we got into this building uh, was, was a testing of faith and, and, and how um, you know, God works and He has a better plan and a better design. Like Eric had a plan. Eric's plan was not as good as God's plan. I'm not, It's not surprising. <laughs> It's not surprising in the slightest, but that is how it works. And so, here we are. And so, again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so... Praise the Lord that God's going to help us. He's going to sanctify us. He's going to change us. And He's going to use the evil that's in the world sometimes, not you know from whatever, and turn it out for good, not only in your life, but in the lives of others that we may continue to sing Him praise and glory and honor. And then uh, verse 8 and 9, to bring it home, um, we love Jesus through faith. Okay? Uh, these people that Peter was writing to in the first place, they had never seen Jesus. Okay, Peter's an apostle. Uh, An apostle is not an office held in any church anymore. um, Because an apostle is one who walked and talked and lived under the ministry of Jesus. And so apostles do not exist. If someone's calling themselves an apostle, I might run. Just me. Because it's a false title within the church today. And so... But these people that that are here in the dispersion, (coughs) they had never seen Jesus. And I always think back to doubting Thomas. Unless I see in his hands the holes, I won't believe. And so blessed be those, as Jesus said, who have not seen and yet believed. And that's exactly what Peter's talking about here in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so that's what we're talking about here. Bring it real, real close. And again, the purpose of, of, of all this testing and things like that is to increase faith in growth and trust in your Creator, the God who has given you everything, who has caused you to be born again, who has given you an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven for you, as well as you being kept in heaven. And that is reason to rejoice. And so new life in Christ means being born again to a living hope. I hope this makes sense to you. I hope you realize that the hopelessness out there can be filled in the gospel and that Jesus is indeed all sufficient in all parts of it because the hole in our hearts that we're missing needs to be filled by God because they're stony hearts and they're not hearts of flesh. But once God changes that and puts his spirit within you, praise be to God that your world's going to change. I'm not promising it's going to be easy. None of these apostles promised it would be easy. You look at the life of Paul, and that was not easy, but he rejoiced in his Lord, and that's exactly what the church does today. They rejoice in Jesus. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 as well. And that's exactly what happens as Christians and as followers. And so, inexpressible joy in Christ new life in christ means being born again to a living hope and again hope biblical hope is not a wish it is a confident expectation in christ so let us pray dear heavenly father thank you for this morning thank you for your word thank you for life as we know it uh just be with those that are here this morning encourage them um, and also encourage those that they may reach today, that they may be able to talk to and um, just bring joy to as we try to combat this hopelessness that exists in the world and show people that Christ is the better way. And even though we may say we're, we're doing something, Lord, make us do something. Make us to glorify your name and to go out and to be a better part of um, just life itself, and let us know that it's not on our merit, but by the grace of God, by your unmerited favor. We are what we are in you, Christ. And I just thank you for this opportunity, and just we worship you. So all this I pray in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen.